So today, we're beginning a new series called You Deserve More. And this will be our final series that we go through in this calendar year. And it takes us all the way from now through the end of this year through all of Advent. And here's the main idea behind this You Deserve More series. You know, for many of us, we can feel so stretched out at times. We can feel so busy, our lives just filled with unending responsibilities and not enough time in the course of our day that we feel like we have enough time to get all of those things down and then not only that, to have our own me time. How many of you, how many of you have experienced that? Where you feel so stretched, you feel so overburdened with so many things that you just feel like you're just perpetually just giving, 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 and there's nothing left for yourself at the end. You see, when that happens, it's so easy for each one of us to develop a scarcity mentality. A scarcity mentality functions by always thinking, I don't have enough time. It thinks, I don't have enough money. It thinks, I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough leisure. A scarcity mentality, it leads us towards having a me-first mindset. Because we always feel so stretched thin that our mindset turns towards looking at other people around us and becomes very insular and thinks about me first. I need to get mine first. You see, the problem with a scarcity mentality is once we develop that, it doesn't help us get out of it. In, in fact, it isolates us further and it prevents us from really feeling fulfilled. When we self-isolate and everyone begins to self-isolate around us, we stop feeling connected. We stop feeling that there's other people who really care for us other than ourselves. We stop feeling that we're really heard or we have community around us to really share our deepest thoughts. We feel that it's really difficult to feel our significance in the midst of this world because everyone else is living by a scarcity mentality that no one else cares for one another. This is why, brothers and sisters, sometimes when we develop a scarcity mentality in our everyday life, it's so easy to transition that towards our relationship with God. We develop a scarcity mentality in our relationship with God. And when we do that and we become more insular in our relationship with Him, we become all about me. So whenever we approach God, it's not so much about hearing what He has to say, or following the direction that he's leading us in. It's really about what can I get? Where is mine first? And that's what we want from God as well. All we want from him is you give me because I feel so scarce in these areas and we're not willing to hear. We're not willing to listen. We're not willing to see what God has to offer because we are controlled by our scarcity. This is why sometimes we feel so disconnected. We feel like, I'm not sure if God is in my life. I don't sense God's presence in my life. And the reason why is because the scarcity mentality prevents us from really experiencing who God really is because we refuse to walk in His ways. 
we refuse to accept his commands, his direction of the life-givingness, of the life-giving life that he wants us to have because we're so locked in and into our scarcity. All we think about all the time is ourselves, our own needs, when it comes to God. You know, Jesus reminds us as we're tempted to have the scarcity mentality, he reminds us that God's kingdom works very differently. It doesn't function by scarcity. It functions by grace. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus said this, Seek first my kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, his kingdom is a big reversal from the scarcity mentality that we have where we feel like I don't have enough this, I don't have enough that, and that's why I got to guard and keep and protect anything that I have within me because I have so little of it. Jesus says, surrender it. He says, do this instead. Seek first my kingdom, not your kingdom, not your fears, not your scarcity. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And then here's the promise. He's not saying so that you become more pious. He doesn't say seek first because I want you to become more religious. He doesn't say seek first because I want you to prove that you trust me. No. He says seek first because I want you to experience life. I want you to experience the fulfilling life that I have planned for you. That's why he says at the end, and all these things, all your needs, all your desires, he says all these things that we're missing in our life and that we feel like we're missing in our life will be given to you as well. In other words, God says you will experience my grace. You experience gifts that we don't deserve and it changes our mindset from scarcity to grace. See, it begins to lead us to the the conclusion that God, you really deserve more. You know, at times, uh, when we begin to develop that grace uh, mindset, we realize that we stop holding so tightly to everything in our life when it comes to God because we begin to experience that He really is good. But to get to that point, it comes with a condition. The condition is, trust me in this. Test me in this. Come, follow me, and do what I say, and you'll see the results. It's a conditional promise. You know, I learned this early on in my life, ever since I became a Christian when I was 15 years old. And from that moment, What I try to do, and I knew very little back then, but I really just tried to live God's word as he called me to live it. I wanted to test and see, is God really is who he says he is? And one of those areas for me that was a big test was finances. You know, when I first started off in my life as a youth pastor, I didn't get much money, right? There there wasn't a lot of money in being a youth pastor. And even my first job as a youth pastor, I was only half time and not a full time. And so it's very hard when you're making very little and then you're trying to live and you're trying to move forward in your life and you see all of your other friends uh, living life 
it seems like to their fullest and and getting like triple quadruple your own salary it, it kind of feels daunting at times it feels discouraging but i remember the first check that i got the 10% that i gave i said right off the top because that's what god calls us to do it was so hard but i wanted to trust god and saying god i know that this isn't enough for my living but if you say the seek first my kingdom and, and your righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. To trust you with my life, beginning with my finances. I began to do that as a part-time youth pastor. And then even as a full-time, as a full-time youth pastor. And then from there as a full-time adult pastor. Every season, it was difficult. Things got even more complex as my salary, even though it was uh, raised a little bit more, then I had kids. And so now my whole family needs to be supported by one income. And I was thinking, do I have enough? But because I saw God sustain me, provide for me, and fill my life, even when I was a youth pastor, that it wouldn't make sense of how things balanced out and how God brought me to where I am today. I seen his faithfulness. And this is why today, my, fam my wife and I, we continue to give without any hesitation. And the reason why is because we have 30 years of experience of seeing God's word to be true. This is why I believe him. This is why I trust him. It's more than just this kind of like spiritualized experience. It's a tangible experience of God's provision for my life. And brothers and sisters, I pray that each and every one of you may hear God's word today and be challenged by God's spirit to think about, do we really trust him in this way too? Can I entrust every area of my life, including my finances, to God and begin to experience that He is who He says He is. Brothers and sisters, if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to today's passage, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 to 11. I'll read, it, I'll read it for us. I'll be reading from the NIV. It reads this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Let's pray. Father, as we go through the opening part of this series, you deserve more. I pray, Father Lord, that you'd help us to see in all aspects of our life, and today as we talk about finances, 
and money. I pray, Father Lord, it will not just be a concept that we understand is in God's Word, but we don't do. May we not search for excuses or for other ways of finding loops or blind spots and trying to do our own thing and and rationalize our own behavior. But rather than that, Lord, may you challenge us to really think about, are you really who you say you are? Do I believe that? And if I do, to follow you in that area and to experience the blessings, the benefit, the promises that you give as a result. So I thank you, Father. Challenge us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I just mentioned, the most common area that many of us have in the scarcity mentality in our life towards God is really our finances. And in particular, giving our tithes, our offerings. You know, if you look at the Bible, can you guess with all of its spiritual, with all of its uh, proclamation about the good news and salvation and Jesus Christ, do you know what topic or what theme comes up the most in the Bible? It's not faith. It's not hope. It's not healing but it's generosity and giving. That's the number one theme that comes out in the Bible over and over again. Why? Because God is generous. It's who He is. It's His character. It's His very self. And He wants us and He calls us to be like Him. See, God wants us to learn generosity because He understands that being generous and being like Him in that and being able to give, He knows how extremely difficult that practice really is. We all know that giving is difficult to do, especially when it comes to giving our tithes. When we think about giving 10% off of the top of our income, we feel like, wow, that's a big amount, right? I don't think I can do that, and it doesn't make sense for me to do it. See, although it is hard to trust and to give, we need to remember that there are benefits to generous giving that God calls us. And he doesn't say, just give for the sake of giving. He says, here's the blessing. Here's the benefit. Here are the promises that are associated with it. And I want to go through three today. The first benefit is this. When we practice generous giving, others benefit by our giving. Others benefit by our giving. In fact, this whole concept that others benefit by our, our, our giving, it's actually sewed in into the very fabric of life, of creation as well. Our whole created world, it functions by this principle. It makes sense because the whole world, created universe that we have, it was created by God, the God who gave life, the God who breathed life into all things, the God who created out of nothing. Everything in existence, it owes its presence to the one who gave, God. Creation and life have benefited from God giving. 
as he speaks everything into being. And not only that, he also provides all the needs and all the processes for life itself to thrive. This is why we see in Acts chapter 17, verse 28, Paul reminding uh, the Hellenistic community there. He says, for in him we live and move and have our being. Paul was talking to a bunch of people who weren't Christians, who weren't followers of Jesus. But he says this. He says to them a concept of giving that everyone understands. In God, in Him, we live and move and have our being. All that we have, it comes from Him. See, the benefit others receive from our giving seems to be more impactful especially when it's harder to give. Let me say that one more time. You know, in this, it benefits other people. It seems, when we look at the biblical account, it seems that when it's even harder to give, there, it seems to have more impact. You know, there are times in our life where we're going to feel like, wow, budget is really tight. My finances are really tight. It's really hard for me to give at this moment. We see the example of the, of the poor widow that had two small copper coins and how difficult it was as she's walking up to the temple treasury and we're seeing all of these rich people putting in wads of bills and Jesus is there watching everyone and you would kind of think that, wow, this woman only has two copper coins to live by. And you would think that as all this other piles of money are coming in, that he would be gracious or generous and just say to her, no, 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 no. you don't need to put it in. It's okay, right? Uh, we got everything else covered. God understands. He, but he doesn't do that. He allows her to follow through with her faith. And as, he do, and as she does, Jesus says, this woman has put in more to this treasury, to God's kingdom, than anyone else. You see, when it's difficult for us to give, there seems to be more impact that is given be behind it. Look at 2 Corinthians 9-7. Each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So in those difficult moments, what Paul is reminding the people of, he's saying, don't give because you're being forced to give. Don't give because there's this compulsion that you have to and you're doing it with a grudging heart. He says, it should be a willing response. It should be a joyful thing that you do because you know the blessings and the promises that are associated with it. See, Jesus was the ultimate example of this kind of giving, especially when it was difficult. Jesus surrendered heaven to be with us, his own creation. And not only that, even when creation despised him, even when his own humanity that he has created and he came to love, even when they kept being uh, rejected by us, at the most difficult moment of his life in Gethsemane, Jesus still gave. And he gave the hardest thing that any one of us would be able to give. He gave 
his life. And look at the impact when the giving for Jesus was the most difficult. The impact of Jesus giving his life for us was the most significant. It had the most impact. We see the same example in a, in a lighter way with, remember that boy that had two fish and five loaves of bread? That probably wasn't just his lunch, but also his take-home take food on the way back from that uh, Sermon on the Mount and on the way back home. It would be a, a journey for him to actually go all the way back home, and that was his food for that journey. That's all he had was two fish and five loaves. At a time where giving is hard, he could have had that mindset and saying, I barely have enough. That scarcity mindset that said, why would I share some of this with other people when I won't have enough even for my journey back home? What if I don't make it? What if it's not enough for me? I'm going to starve. I'm, I'm going through my own issues. But this young boy, despite scarcity and when it was hardest to give, he surrenders his lunch when it was hardest for him to do so and look at the impact of it. The impact of that surrender, we see multitudes, we see over 5,000 people being fed and there being leftovers. Now let me ask you something. What do you think that act, that initial act of generous giving and experiencing the fruitfulness that came out of it, what do you think, what kind of effect do you think that it had on the young boy's heart? I'm pretty sure that the young boy, it increased his faith. He began to see this must be true. And he saw so many other people benefiting from his sacrifice. I'm quite sure, we don't know because we, we only know at the end of the story that 12 basketfuls of leftovers were, uh, were collected. And I can... Just picture, you know, Jesus saying to the boy, come here, remember you came with, uh, you know, five loaves and two fish? Here's a basket full for you to take home on your journey and to be and to give to your parents as well. Let this be a reminder that I want to bless you. I don't want to take from you. I want to give you a life that is more fulfilling. See, when we give, that generosity is compounded and the recipients of that generosity experience it as well. Here's the second benefit that we see. God provides and multiplies what we give. When we learn how to be generous in our giving, God provides and multiplies what we give. Did we, did we get that? I, I want to make sure that we understand that. God even provides what we're supposed to give. So it's actually not just coming from ourselves. God provides it as well. He gives us more so that we can give more. Once again, I want to make it clear that God never asks us to do anything that he wouldn't do. He's not this God that's out there saying, yeah, bring me all your money. All I want is your money, right? He's not that kind of, he's not that kind of God. He first gave so that we can learn that practice of giving as well. No one, none of us can outgive can out God. He has the greatest heart, and he always gives the most. The blessing and promise God provides to our giving 
is that not only will he provide what he calls us to give, but he also multiplies it from our faithfulness. Look at 2 Corinthians 9.10. Now he who supplies the seed to the sower, you get that? He's the one that gives us the seed. And bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Paul reminds us that the reason we are able to give is because God gave it to us in the first place. The reason we're able to give is because God gave that to us in the first place. God is the one that gave us our minds. God is the one that places us in our families. God is the one that places us in our particular situation. God is the one that provided all of these opportunities to come our way. God is the one that gives us breath of life to do what we're now doing. We only have because God first gave it to us. It's so easy at times to think like a spoiled child and to think, well, no, I earned it. I deserved it. I did it all myself. We need to understand God gave us that opportunity. God gave us the mind that we have. And the reason why we're able to function the way that we function and have the resources that we have is because God gave it to us. He who supplies the seed to the sower, he says, not only provides bread for our food, but also increases our store of seed. I love how there's this other pastor named J.D. Greer, and I love how he puts it in perspective for us. He says this. He says, money is like a seed you plant that harvests in multiple fruits much better than itself. Let me say that again. Money is like a seed that you plant that harvests in multiple fruits much better than itself. What does he mean by that? He means this. It can be, he's trying to illustrate this kind of like translating seeds as your money. And what he's trying to say is, well, let's think about apple seeds. And if we translate apple seeds as all the money that we have, if we have a bunch of apple seeds, none of us would say, wow, these seeds are awesome. I just want to eat it all the time. Nom, nom, nom. None of us eat apple seeds. But what we do with the apple seeds is we're called to plant it. And as soon as we plant that apple seed, what happens? It begins to become a tree, and then it grows fruit. That seed is not returned to the owner. It's not returned to the one who sows it as a seed. But it returns as something else, something that is more life-giving something that is entirely different, it becomes a tree that bears more fruit and part of that fruit inside the apple are more seeds. But it's so much more than just harvesting more seeds. You see, in the same way, God wants us to plant our money in Him. The outcome of that is not so that we get more seeds or more money out of it, but it produces something entirely different and offers invaluable blessing. You know, even when we look at any tree, we know that it takes out carbon dioxide from our environment and it gives out oxygen, those unseen blessings that we see that tree providing. We also see that a tree provides secondary blessings like shelter, 
uh, for, um, and shade and blocks wind. And it also allows the leaves to fall and to re-nourish the ground. You know, Rick Warren, another passage, he says it this way, giving is not a debt that I owe, but a seed that I sow. Giving that we give is not a debt that we owe to God. Giving is a seed that we sow. You see, when we plant a seed, we don't get a seed back, but a whole plant and its fruitfulness. See, God multiplies what we give, but He also allows us to determine what the size of that harvest is going to be. Remember what He says? He says, He who uh, sows sparingly reaps sparingly. He who uh, sows generously reaps generously as well. See, God allows us to determine how big our harvest will be. How big the benefits of experiencing who God is, of what God provides in our life. He allows us that choice. You choose, he says, sow sparingly and reap sparingly. Sow generously and reap generously. You know, sometimes when I look at the Christian church and look at so many people who have yet to really experience God more deeply, more powerfully in their life, I can't help but think, is this part of it? It's because we reap sparingly when it comes to God. You know, the harvest that we should expect, as we all know, with things that grow, it's not immediate. It's not something that you should say, hey, I gave this much last week, and so why didn't God give me this week? It doesn't work that way. A harvest, there's a harvest in its time, and it takes seasons for things to grow. Seeds take time to grow. You plant in one season, and you harvest in another. It's the same thing when we plant in God. You know, some of you may not even know it, and we may be oblivious to it, but you're actually reaping. Some of us are actually reaping the benefits of our parents or our grandparents' generosity. They're the ones that have been generous with their giving to God. And because of this, we get to be the recipients of that blessing. Others of us have been generous in the past. And now, even though we have forgotten about that generosity in the past, some of us are now seeing some of that fruitfulness in how we are living today and some of the opportunities that we have today. I want us to remember that God provides and he multiplies what we give. Here's the last benefit. The last benefit is this, giving enriches our lives. Giving enriches our lives. Look again at 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Whoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly. Whoever sows generously reaps generously. In other words, Paul was saying the way we give is the way we receive from God. The way we give is the way that we receive from God. Paul, in other words, Paul, he, he's trying to make us to understand that if we are lacking and we feel like there's this distance or there's this lack of depth in our relation with God, he calls us to first look at the way that we give. Because he says, that investment of your heart shows what kind of faith that we have. Do we really believe God to be who he says he is? And that 
financial investment is that step, is one thing that we do to show do we really believe this or not. Look at what Jesus told the disciples in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. He says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Do we understand that? Jesus was saying the same thing to his disciples. If you become stingy in your giving to God, that's what you reap, right? We reap just the very bare minimum to the point where we're always wondering, is God really there? Does God really care? Is God really part of my life? It's because we're so stingy and we don't really believe that we can entrust him with our finances. The measure we use will be measured to you. I'm sure you guys been at the at a movie theater, you know when they put popcorn into that bag and then for some employees who are good, they begin to shake down the popcorn bag so that popcorn goes down, 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 fills every crevice, every hole, and then they fill it again. And then again, they shake it down till popcorn goes down. So they try to maximize how much they put into that. That's the image that, that Jesus gives to the disciples here. He says, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over is how I want to give to you that it's overflowing in your life. Not so that more is taken away and you feel like, man, I only have 90% of my income to live by and it's difficult even with 100%. No, God says, when you give to me, see what I do with it. I multiply and I make it overflow in your life. Look again in Proverbs 3, 9 to 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. See, over and over again throughout the whole Bible, we see God challenging His people to entrust our wealth, our finances to God. God wants us to experience who He really is. And for us to experience the joy and fulfillment that He actually brings to our life. But we do have to choose though. It's a conditioned promise. Because a lot of us, we have difficulty. Because we think other things bring us better joy. We say, I got to save money because I got to buy clothes. I got to save money because I'm looking forward to this entertainment. I got to save money because I want the newest, latest gadgets. I need to save money because I want to go to different restaurants or have these types of foods. I need to save money because I want these different leisure experiences in my life. And we never feel like we have enough for it. And that's why we become very stingy with God. We feel like I can do more with my money than by giving it to Him. But let me really ask you, how far do these things go? in really fulfilling the deepest needs of our heart. If we sit down and we're kind of honest with, does it really fulfill us? Does it really bless us? Or do we feel like something is missing? See, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
For many of us, money really is an important treasure in our life. And where we choose to invest that treasure makes us love that thing all the more. Now, here's the warning behind it. There really is an unseen and oftentimes a dismissed component that we forget that there is a spiritual realm. And when Jesus says this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, he's talking about money. And he is using the illustration of money. This is why Jesus doesn't just end it there. He brings this spiritual component that's very important to make sure that the disciples understand there's something that is in your life that is attached to you, that is bringing you down, that's dragging you away from me, and that's causing us to feel down. That's causing us to feel discouraged, disconnected from God. What is that? Look what he does. He continues on in Matthew 6, 24 by saying this, No man can serve two masters. He, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. See, what Jesus was saying to his disciples is there's this spiritual component. There's this idol, this mammon, God of money in your life. And he says, when we're holding on to that, what we're really doing is we're worshiping and we're addicted to money, to control of our money, to how I want my money to work for me. And we're not driven by God's kingdom, by God's power, the way that God's kingdom operates. When he says, seek first my kingdom, my righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. God wants us to experience him more. But being bound by money is a powerful spiritual issue as well. Some of us, we are bound by it, and that's why we keep stumbling along the way in our relationship with God. We believe He's there, but we have these glimpses. It's kind of like this foggy image. It's like this there, but not really there. Is it possible that we are bound by the spiritual forces that are behind our addictions? This is why God gives us this challenge. And he gives this challenge at the end of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi. And he says to his people in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 to 11, Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room for you to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. See, what God was trying to tell his people is saying, life is dependent on me. In me, everything lives, moves, and has its being. And he says, you got to trust me. And he says, how are you robbing me? He says, everything that I've given you, it comes from me. And I want you to learn how to trust me by giving your tithes and your offerings. You know, it becomes a fruit, first fruits of what we give. But when we don't, what we're essentially saying is our tie is not with God, but with money. 
And when our tie is with money, it bounds us to a different spiritual force. And look what he calls it. He says, it's pests that devour our crops and vines begin to drop without its fruit ripening. See, this is part of the spiritual attack that some of us feel. We feel like, why is it in my life that I feel like things just keep coming to my life and taking away things that I'm trying to make fruitful? Anything that is good, I feel like it's always being devoured. Some of us, we feel like, wow, something is really growing, but suddenly it just drops, it falls away without it fully being ripened. And God says that's the effect of that spiritual bondage. He says, come and store it in me. When he says, bring the whole tithe into my storehouse, this isn't about giving to charities of your choice. This isn't about giving to a family member in need. This isn't about giving to the poor. When he says it, he's very specific. He says, bring it into my storehouse. In other words, in that time, bring it to my temple. In our time, bring it to my church. It's an act of worship that God places on each one of us for our highest blessing. It's an undesignated offering. It's giving in into his house. Brothers and sisters, when we begin to give in this way, God promises, test me in this. Live this way and see and begin to experience the life I want you to have the fruitfulness, the life-givingness that I want you to experience of trusting me and walking alongside me in your life. That's what God wants us to experience. So here are three challenges that I want to give us as we end today. For some of us, if we're not giving our tithes, I want to challenge you, start today. You may not be able to start at that full 10% because your heart's not happy about it, right? And you're not cheerful about it. It's difficult. But if you're not giving at all and you're not giving consistently, start at an amount and be consistent with that amount. Start somewhere and begin today. For others of us, we're already giving. And I want to challenge you, continually give. Because that harvest is coming. That blessing you will experience. And the last aspect is for some of us, we have been giving, but it's been a small portion. And we're ready for that next level of increasing from 2% to now 4%. And we need to move up in that level. I don't want to challenge you guys in that. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you so much for blessing us with this time and the space that we have together. And I pray, Father, Lord, may we experience who you really say you are. May we experience that you are our life giver, that we're not bound by other spiritual forces, but as we give, we see the benefits of it, Father, Lord, and we experience the fruitfulness of that life. So thank you, Father. We commit all these things to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.